Hey everybody, it's Dave here and Darren over there. We're your two old bloggers, been doing it for decades, talking about your Minnesota Vikings. And on today's show, we have uh, three themes as usual. This one we're going into everything's awesome mode. Yes, state-run <laughs> media and the players and everybody are talking the same line. Bad man's gone, everything's going to be great, we'll see about that. Theme two, we're looking at erasing the end of 2021 season, uh, where at the end of the halves, the defense gave up a boatload of points, almost historically. Yes, I know, that's sad, nobody wanted it. And thirdly, what I've been promoting and promising all week, we're going into that deep dive with the deep thoughts into the draft and the reality of it. And there are some surprising results. I'm sure you'll agree once you watch. So, after the rolling. Welcome to Two Old Bloggers, home of news and commentary for your Minnesota Vikings. Hey everybody, it's Dave here once again and Darren over there once again. I hope you're enjoying your Easter weekend. Maybe it's a long one for everybody. Hey, that would be nice, wouldn't it? First off, Darren, how are you doing? Excellent. Long weekend for me. Friday Good. off, Monday off. Woohoo! So. And, you, and you're all over your COVID, so everybody's healthy. You got any plans? No, I'd do as little as possible, Dave, really. Uh, a little bit of Sunday uh, dinner, but a uh, little, got myself a Cornish hen. We're not a big enough family to do the big turkey thing because uh, we'd have too many leftovers and we'd be eating turkey for like a month, which isn't a bad thing, but uh, I don't like yeah. turkey enough to eat it to for do a that. month. Yeah, see, we do the, the big Cornish ham. hen will be done in two days. Mm -hmm. Oh, the big ham, yes, yes, mm -hmm. yes. Well, anyway, everything's all good. Yeah, everybody's healthy, ready to rock and roll. We're like, what, 13 days, 12 days from the, the first right. day of the draft. Mm -hmm. things, are, things are moving along. Yes, and for the Vikings, everybody's healthy too. And uh, we had this week where everybody was in the Egan, and we'll get into that. We are going to talk, first thing you wanted to talk about was how everything, oops, didn't mean to have Quasi up there yet, everything is awesome! <laughs> Explain to us what you mean by everything is awesome! Yeah, well, we got the uh, the Lego characters up there because uh, the, that was the uh, the big famous song from the Lego movie. Everything was awesome, uh, you know, state-run media, like you said, and uh, and um, what I mean by that is that uh, this was the week, the first week where the team got together, had uh, got a chance, workouts occurred, and uh, so that also meant uh, media availability for uh -huh. several players and. Uh, you know, it's that's an opportunity for the media to ask the, a lot of the Viking players questions. It's their uh, and get their thoughts on the the new coaching staff and how everything's going, and uh, so some themes emerged in, in the a lot of the interviews I watched for and 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 like I said, to a man, everybody was on message, big time. Uh, great new culture. Uh, it's. Uh, from Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Harrison Smith, uh, Patrick Peterson, those guys, you know, talking about, you know, we got great leaders and great innovators here, you know, great positive atmosphere. Uh, there, you know, Kevin O'Connell's building a culture. There was, you know, every, again, everything is awesome. Uh, and <laughs> that was the prevailing theme from what these guys were talking about the whole time. And, um, you know, I wanted to talk about that because this is the time of the year where you hear that sort of thing from all 32 uh, players on all 32 teams, I think, whether they were had good years last year or they were terrible last year, or if you were somewhere in the middle like the Vikings were. And But that all – so that's – pretty common this time of the year, especially if you've brought in a new coaching staff and a, and a new general manager. Uh, there's always all kinds of optimism. Yeah, right, Drew, what are you supposed to say? But what does that, I guess, what does that really mean? What is that really worth? Uh, can we take uh, Can we take this to be actually the, um, take the, the players at the word and really uh, 
is is everything awesome i guess is the, right. the thing uh we won't really find out truly if everything is awesome until the game start and some adversity is felt but uh i think if you watched you watched the vikings the last two years under mike zimmer and i don't know how many times we would say david during games after games geez these guys came out flat uh where is the energy? Where is the enthusiasm? And football. <laughs> wow. Look at that. <laughs> Look at that. Sound effects. Amazing. Oh, you almost scared me there. <laughs> uh, so they, so there, if you, and if you listen to, we heard about Eric Kendricks, Brian O'Neill, those, mm-hmm. those guys talking at the end of the season, uh, they had, uh, you know, they're, some of the things they said indicated that they weren't really too the the locker room had gone a little bit sour mm-hmm. under Mike Zimmer. Uh so the, the you know really this whole thing about everything is awesome is uh I think that there you could make an argument for saying that the Vikings had things had grown stale under Mike Zimmer. Uh he may have lost the, the locker room a bit and I don't know if the players were playing with the it felt like the players didn't weren't playing as free and as maybe as uncluttered as you would like them to play. Um, but so this is all good that players are saying that everything is awesome and there's a new culture and, and we're building on collaboration, partnerships, all that sort of stuff. But what is it going to mean on the field, David? And, and when the season gets going before you get to what it means, I want everybody after the show, to take the time and go look up the YouTube video of Everything is Awesome and have that song stuck earwormed in your head the rest of the day. You'll appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I I guess the the, – with Everything is Awesome and when a new staff comes in, I feel that it's possible that if if you really felt last year, some Vikings fans, a lot of them that I knew, really felt that coaching was an issue and that mm-hmm. uh, Zimmer, uh, with some of the things he did, whether it's timeout uh, you know, decisions or challenge decisions or the late game stuff, that the, the, he wasn't a difference maker in a positive way for the Vikings. And he may have – his uh, he and some of his staff, like Clint Kubiak – may have cost the Vikings some gains. And if we'd had better coaching or players buying into the coaching better uh, or players weren't scared to make mistakes uh, and screw screw up and have Mike chew them out, that they would have played better, played more enthusiastic, played with more energy, and the results would have been a little bit different. Instead of 8-9, and nine, maybe we go 10-7 and seven or something like that. So, I, you know, coaching does matter in the NFL. It's a big part of the deal. The players go out and make the plays. But if you're a well-prepared, well-coached team and you like the coach that you're playing for and you believe in what he's teaching and believe in what he's saying and believe in the messaging, then I think that the, those results are going to show up on on the field. And... That's the kind of the I, right now. I think that's the hope that we have with the Vikings, um, with the everything is awesome mantra that the players are using right now. If if they if they're if if Kevin O'Connell and his staff are relating better to the the players, young and old, that's going to help the Vikings on the field. If the Vikings, if they are able to to impart and teach the, the players what they want to do in a better way and, and get them to buy in that is going to help the Vikings on the field, I think, uh, and off the field. And if, uh, and that could, and if the players feel that the coaching staff is working in collaboration with them, if they're, if they care about the players, not just for what they do on the field, but also off the field, I think that that is going to help the Vikings locker room and help them on the field and, that could be worth maybe an extra win or two. You get on a bit of a roll and it snowballs. So uh, everything is awesome. Again, it's easy thing to say this time of the year. Everybody's going to say good things about the new coaches. <laughs> even even I'm sure even I don't rem- I didn't watch any of the videos, but I'm sure the Jaguar players were all talking about how Urban Meyer, you know, really juiced up. Uh, you know, great to see him here, and things didn't turn out that way. But uh, the, the the energy the 
enthusiasm, the togetherness that the Vikings players are all speaking right now, I think that 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 is a good thing. I think it will make uh, a, a difference for the Vikings. Uh, of course, uh, if you will, again, you'll have to see that when the Vikings get adversity, when they lose a, a game in a tough way, or they lose two games in a tough way, and there's questions about coaching decisions and what O'Connell or what Wes Phillips did, or and you know what the D, Ed Donatel did, did he use the right defense at the right time? When those questions start coming, uh, that will tell a bit more about whether everything is awesome. Because in an NFL season, 17 games, everything is not awesome all the time. Sometimes it's not awesome a lot of the time. Uh, even for Super Bowl this winning is a, teams, yeah. Even for Super Bowl winning teams, yes. Last year, even the Rams, uh, they had a lull in the middle of the season where things weren't looking. Uh, we're looking like things were a little bit off for them, but they they got it done. But I, I think that it, it can't. It certainly cannot hurt if you've got a positive, energized, enthusiastic team. Uh, I heard several players talk about, uh, and this I think is important. Well, they talked about uh, they enjoyed coming into work now, which is a bit of a slap in the face to to to, to the evil Mike. Well, Center. well, and, I'm curious. Do you think? Yeah. Because all we're hearing is bad man's now gone, right? Everything's, uh, you know, smelling like roses, collaboration, cooperation, all the buzzwords. Do you believe everybody believes that or are they being instructed to come out with that? Because I can't believe out of all those players that suddenly every single one turned on Mike Zimmer at the beginning of the season, once the new regime was hired, but didn't say a thing over the last two mm-hmm. years, right, yep. until he was gone. And there's ways players can communicate um, either directly with – there's plenty of them on the team that could have gone to Mike directly, or they could have gone to somebody else in the hierarchy directly. Or they could have indirectly had it put out via Instagram or Twitter or something. You know, we know that uh, uh, Diggsy did in his cryptic tweets. But do you believe the whole bunch, absolutely all of them, suddenly, oh, Mike's bad. I'm not going to say a good word about Mike because I believe that or because I was told not to. That to me, it doesn't seem like a whole organization. Whole organization suddenly turns against one guy. That's rare. Um, usually, there's some people that like him. You could get Harrison Smith, for example. Harrison Smith can, yeah, he was drafted right before Mike got there, but Mike made Harrison Smith, right? Who do, who he is today, and you know, Eric Kendricks, same way. And Eric Kendricks was one of the first ones to. Piss and moan. All right, I could buy off somebody. I, I'm pissing and moaning because I believe that. But I can also say, hey, no, we're being told to. And it seems like, and how I titled this episode, the propaganda that comes out of the Vikings, the state media, right, is all Mike was bad. Bad man Mike. We got rid of Mike. Everything's now, you know, Unicorns and rainbows. That's not how people generally work. And I don't believe that. So we could take it as it is. We'll find out. I hope the new regime doesn't have the problems that he does. I hope the transition from a more authoritarian coach to a more laissez faire uh, players coach works. It does sometimes, it, and then sometimes it doesn't. It works in cycles, you know. Hey, this works well for a while, then it falls off, and then we go the other direction. It works well for a while, then we drop off. So it should be interesting to see. Now, I know... Yeah, well, go ahead, David. I know a lot of the fans are blaming Mike Zimmer for everything. Absolutely. Because he's gone. (laughs) Because it's easy. It was, uh, who wears the, um, up here, Jonathan. Said all on Zimmer speech puts pressure puts pressure on the players. Yes, it does, but it's um, they're blaming that. That's the scapegoat. Let's see if that's the scapegoat. 
Which brings us into our next theme. This tweet you wanted to talk about. I did because, uh, and I think a few people have, have seen this last week, talking about uh, how horrible the Vikings were at, at the end of halves last year. No news to us who watched all of the games last year. It was just like clockwork, right? If the team, if the opposing team got the ball within the last two to four minutes of the first, in the first half or the second half, guaranteed they were getting a touchdown. And the tweet just shows it there that uh, you know, they allowed uh, TDs on 32.4% of opponents' drives in the final four minutes before halftime or the end of the game, worst in the NFL. And, uh, and, uh, it, and, and worse that was since 2000 yes yeah and so that was uh, it's one part of the you know it's it's a it's a small stat but i think that was a very significant stat just because you're if if the Vikings had been better, there's a lot of things that went wrong with the Vikings last year. You, there was a, all the three and outs, uh, the the poor tackling at times, run defense was did not <laughs> play very well, um, and so there's a lot of things that were going on that that played into the eight and nine. But uh, it, as a solid football teams play situational football solidly, I think, and this is a situation that just for I. For whatever reason, I don't have any ex- explanations for why the Vikings were so bad last year on defense in that in late game situations or late half situations, but they were. And if they'd been, you know, quite a bit better, if they'd been better at that. I've got a partial one. Right, football is a team sport, as we all know. Yep. It's not just the defense was bad. Fix the defense, we're good. Get rid of the bad man, we're good. Right. It's not just the defense was bad last year. As we have up, the Vikings were number one in three and outs. Well, wait a minute, Dave. Three and outs isn't a legitimate, you know, sort of stat. Let's look at uh, third down conversions. How are they at third down conversions? That means more because if they went out on third down, that obviously mean, you know, three plays in a row, it was um, a three and out. Well, third down conversions, they ranked 26th out of the league on third down conversions. If you're a team and your defense, the Vikings last, the story of last season as I remember it, is that first bunch of scripted plays, just like the season prior, worked great. Vikings go down and score, right? Especially on that first series. And then into the second drive, they usually made it, quite a ways, and then it was good. Then they went three and outs. Three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. Then it got behind on the scoreboard, and they were in that last two minutes when the offense got on the field, they got productive because they were moving the ball, right? They had to. They moved the ball, right? And then same thing sort of happened in the second half, and it was three and out, three and out, three and out. And the three and out, you got to remember the defense only rests maybe a minute and a half. Then they're right back in there, going 100% at it, right? And it's just like, oh, come on, guys. And defenses play better when, um, one, when they're not tired, but two, if the offense would have ran it up, and I wanted, I brought this back up because I wanted to show something. This is broken down by, Last three games, last game, home games, away games. And then last year, as in 2020, they were much better in 2020 than they were last year, which is surprising because defense was worse, I thought, in 2020. Um, Yeah. They were 25th in time of possession. Now, time of possession doesn't mean absolutely everything. Um. Because if you have a good offense that goes down and scores quickly and turns it over to the defense and then gets the ball back and scores quickly, you can have a defensive lopsided game where they've got most of it because they're defending, you know, an offense that's producing points. The Chiefs, Chiefs will go up by three scores by half, and you wonder why their defense is good because in the second half, the defense is pinning their ears back 
and the offense is throttling down because they've got a three-score lead, right? It makes a difference when you do that. It's a team sport. The defense couldn't make stops because the offense couldn't build up a significant lead. That was one of the faults. Drew, hear me out. I admit, Zimmer would not run up the damn score. I wish he would have. If he would have run up the score, defense would play better because they go into, hey, I'm going to kill the quarterback mode. That's simple. Well, why, you know, it's a whole team. It failed on both sides, not just in those last two minutes or last four minutes of each half, which was absolutely miserable, historic um, by comparisons. And it's hopefully not going to be the case this year because I think they've got it fixed. And the fix um, isn't necessarily this guy. Um, but hopefully it is. Um, <laughs> hopefully it is because um, we now have an offensive-minded head coach that hopefully can communicate with him and to improve his flaws and to tell him to get aggressive and not do the, you know, two-yard check down when we're third and seven. And we increase that production, right? The The Vikings were 14th in points last year on offense. They weren't anywhere close when it came to yards. So let's get that where the offense is generating yard after yard, possession after possession, points after points after points after points. And if they build up that two or three score lead, then the defense, I guarantee you, plays better. One, because they're rested. Two, because everything simplifies as they go, all right, now the opposing team has to throw the ball. That makes it simple. We're putting our best pass rushers out there to defend that. And uh, we're going to interrupt that and make them go three and out. You do that, and uh, it makes the games easy. I would – good points, David. And uh, I think that what I was going to say is that the, this late-game defensive problem with giving up points has to get fixed this year if the Vikings – that cost the Vikings two or three or, you know, several mm-hmm. games last year and and if you and if your defense was able to get some stops at the end of the first half or in the end of games uh, it could have made the difference between two or three uh losses turning into wins and yes one of the ways to fix that is that if your offense is able and we talked a few weeks ago probably a month ago i talked about how the vikings need to get better at on um, in their two-minute offense late in halves and late in games which has been terrible for the past two to three years uh they just don't never look like they really know what they're doing and we talked about using tempo throughout the game as a as a as a as a as a weapon and that that might help them if they're using tempo during the game that will help them actually get better at it when they typically need to use it a lot which is late in games so yes if your offense has the ball at the last four minutes of a game, a def- the, your defense doesn't isn't on the field. The other team can't score because they don't have the ball. So we need more clock-killing drives for the Vikings late in the games. That will help the defense immensely. But I, I still think that, uh, you know, the, the late-game things, you, you talked about how the game is simplified. Right. The last two minutes of a first half and the last two to three minutes of a second half, the team's still fucking passing anyway because they got to move the field, the ball up the field a lot. So my argument would be that it's all, it's simplified for you. Teams are going to pass because they got to move. That's the most efficient, quickest way to move the ball. So the fact that the, the Vikings uh, couldn't stop them last year, I don't know if the, you know, if it's a great argument to say that uh, they were gassed and that the, and that the, Oh no, they had, you know, they, the they had was, lower quality people. On the defense, we complained about how after 2019, you know, and they gutted the secondary, it went to, and it was there for both 20 and 21. I mean, they just tried to piecemeal it. It it was not quality. I 
I grant you that. Mike Zimmer tried to scheme as best he could, but, and I think he did stuff that, you know, made it better than it could have been. I think it could have been a hell of a lot worse. But we'll see. And hopefully the fix to that is this guy. Yes, Ed Donatel, the I don't know whether part of part of the thing part of what may help the Vikings defense be better in late game situations is again, Ed Donatel, it's a new defensive philosophy. They're running a three four. Teams, especially in the division, have not seen the Vikings use a 3-4. And so that new defense the, and the new base personnel and all the things that Ed Donatel is going to use to pressure quarterbacks, the disguising, uh, and what he's going to do in the defensive backfield, it will take a little while for teams to get used to and figure out what the Vikings are doing. That may help them not just during the game, but in late game situations too, because they can't go back on tendencies like they could with Zimmer because, you know, well, we know Zimmer's going to do this, that, and the other thing uh, because it's going to be a new defensive system, a whole bunch of new coaches. So we get the, the newness factor may work to the Vikings defense advantage in these late game situations, even though Ed Donatel is not new. Uh, he's, <laughs> you know, he's, a, he's, a, he's been a coach for a long time, but him in Minnesota running this defense will be new. So there's that. Uh, also the, again, how uh, he coaches them up and works on disguising those pressure packages, improving the tackling, a lot of like the fundamental stuff that went a bit awry the last couple of years under Zimmer uh, if he can get those and things right, fixed, that and right, may and make Don, Donatel defense doesn't make the corners the most important part part of it. They're not doing most of the thinking. Um, Donatel has the safeties a lot of times doing that, um, so you're not going to have the same sort of weak points that there were weak points in the Zimmer offense or Zimmer defense, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Uh, I And I think, like I talked about, uh, another thing that could help is, like I talked about, the offense. Uh, I wanting to see them use more up-tempo this year throughout the game and practicing that more, and, and in which case they emphasize that more of having a, a more up-tempo offense and emphasizing late-game, hurry-up type offenses so you – you get better at it because you're doing it more. I think the same thing is going to have to apply for the defense in late game situations. I, I I know that they they teams practice this all the time, but I really think that considering how weak the the Vikings defense was in end of half situations last year that they really have to make this a huge focus this year because that's going to win them a lot of games and uh, and. So again, what I said about coaching, it's not what you teach, it's what you emphasize. Uh, what you emphasize will determine the kind of team, defense, offense that you are. I think the Vikings and Ed Donatel, I'm hoping that they really emphasize these late game situations and how we're going to clamp down and stop mm-hmm. teams from attacking us and scoring late in the games. Because it's a huge deflator when you give up a touchdown late in the first half to the opposition, especially if you've just gone, no matter what situation it is, uh, it's just a huge deflator. And if you can, and the weird thing about the Vikings last year is we, we saw it so many games is they would go through stretches where the other offense, as bad as our defense was, we went through stretches, three, four series where we would just completely shut down an offense. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yes, this is a great defense. And then like a flick of a switch, turn around especially and- turn around and then we're giving up three or four straight touchdowns. And it would, a lot of times it would start at the end of a half with the team getting the ball with two minutes to go marching down the field and like, sometimes three or four plays, getting a TD, going off in the half, and it just rolled from there. Uh, the Vikings have to fix this. And uh, again, you know, everything is awesome. <laughs> uh, you know, the new enthusiasm, the, the, the fact that Ed Donatel is like a real people person, a guy who connects well with players. I'm not saying Mike Zimmer wasn't. Uh, you know, guys like Harrison Smith, uh, Dalvin Cook, they seem to really like Mike Zimmer. He wasn't an evil man. Uh, but – Newness, uh, freshness, uh, a, a new, new perspective, yeah. it's, it's, a new it, scheme. It's exciting. It can invigorate the players. It's exciting. It can invigorate the players. 
and it can it takes the opposition a while to learn what they're doing what you like to do what you're good at what you're not good at how to attack them how not to attack them you get and it doesn't hurt when like those two guys up there we're going to have daniel hunter and zadarius smith healthy hopefully from the get-go and two stay guys that on the way. edge and that will be the key to the donatel defense putting pressure on the quarterback and by using the edges to do such you do that you're going to shut stuff down um, because you got two of the best pressure generating um, edges in the business. Period. These guys do it, and if they're healthy, like they both were in 2019, they were one and two, and they generated over 200 pressures between the two of them, each over 100. That's amazing. If you can get that, the defense, and that's where the corners don't have to be as good in making all the decisions. Um, and they won't, but they'll play into that because the quarterback's not going to have time to throw. So I look forward to the fix. The fix is the Donatel. The change, the change in leadership was needed. I agree with you, Drew, on that one. Um, change but in leadership. Two, a little bit of improvements with on the offense too, like we were talking about. It's a whole. It's it's not just one thing. It's a whole bunch well, it's of a whole, little or not so little team. things. It's a whole effort, yeah. holistic that fit into it. Mm-hmm. That fit in for sure. But they certainly, uh, if if we are still uh, uh, pathetic at late game situations, you know, stopping teams from scoring on us like we were last year, um, everything will not be awesome. It'll be eight and nine or seven and ten again. Again, and but and we don't want that. I believe it will change. I believe we're in for at least a 10-win season. But what do I know? I've always been high on my predictions. My original prediction this year, though, is 8-8-1. Eight, eight, so we'll see. That brings us to the interlude where we're talking about Lake Monster Brewing. Lake Monster Brewing is a partner with Climbing the Pocket. And we are having a great sponsorship. They make some outstanding beers. If you are in the cities area, go over to St. Paul, real close to Egan, and check out Lake Monster Brewing, um, their their brewery and restaurant, cap house type deal, and you will find some outstanding beers for whatever type of flavor, whether you want exotic, whether you want some sours, whether you want some bitter ales like I drink. However, I'm drinking a Belgian today. Or whatever it is, you'll find fantastic beers, great people, and have a great time. And it all leads up to our three-day extravaganza of draft. But on day two, we're live from the brewery. April 29th, which will be, uh, pardon me, rounds two and three, live from the brewery. You can interact with us on the show and uh, interact with the people there, yell and scream about, we should have picked this guy or we should have picked that guy. Why didn't we select, you know, so-and-so? Or that was fantastic. I look forward to it, yada, yada. It should be great. And I highly encourage you to be there. Um, It will be absolutely awesome. Now, I thought about putting some, underwater sight sound effects in there at that point <laughs> but my being old and prostate issues my bladder wouldn't handle it so i didn't um which brings us to our next subject the draft and here we're going into a deep dive and deep thoughts trademarked to both of us about draft and the reality of the draft and we're entering fun time with graphs. Are you ready? <laughs> I am ready, Dave. Hopefully our listenership is as well. All right. I've always used the CBS expectation chart as to evaluating how, what you should expect from each round, set of rounds. And it's here. I redid it. It's here on the left. Pretty colors and everything else. Your top pick should be a future Hall of Famer. Your first rounder should be an immediate starter, right? Second and third rounders should be eventual starters. 
Um, fourth through seventh, hopefully, are your special teamers. They may develop later. Who knows? Uh, UDFAs, you may get a you know a gem or two, but you know they're camp fillers. But we shall see. That's the basis on how I grade the draft and what we should expect. Drew's seen this chart before. Next, I want to get into the quality curve. Now, this graph is a little bit old, but the curve is just the same. As you can see, first-round draft choices have a better chance, and that chance is only around 80%, but first-round draft choices have a better percent of succeeding than when you get into the lower rounds. And it, and under the old system, it was the red line under the newer system, the newer system in this chart being approximate value over what actually happened in their careers. But you can see it's a ski slope. So you get your, your better chances up front and you get your long shots in round six and seven. That's why when um, it was always, let's trade back so we own every round or every uh, pick in the seventh round always uh, irritated me because the quality isn't there. You're taking long, you're giving up more surefire shots. You're giving up quality for quantity and hoping to hit. Um, Quasi coming into this, though, comes from an analytic position background. I'm curious how he's going to do this. Then comes the success curves. I made this a few years ago. This comes out of my deep dive I made back in 2018. And it breaks it down by position, where you can find your value in positions. By what rounds? Obviously, the first round's up there on the left, and the closer to number one pick, the better chance you have. But there are some dips. The The red line that you see swings back up is defensive lineman, which is interesting. And the gray line on that's over on the top is uh, tight ends. Tight ends hold their value pretty much late, historically. That's how this goes, um, which is interesting to think. Uh, quarterbacks which is the light blue line bottoms out below the line and doesn't come back up to the seventh round. And that's because seventh round are flyers that, hey, you get lucky. And it's usually the fifth and sixth round, you got nothing. Don't even bother looking at quarterback then. But we know there are the rare exceptions. So at quarterback, it's it's basically don't bother after the first sixteen picks. <laughs> like your your hit rate your your hit rate drops like a stone after after those first sixteen picks for a quarterback. Uh, that was one of the uh, not surprising, but one of the the very striking things that uh, I saw when I was looking at that chart, and and it uh, it makes you uh, not feel very hopeful about Kellen Mond's uh, <laughs> chances of success. Uh, he was drafted in the third round, and the chance and a good. Uh, quarterback coming out of third round is uh is like no different than in the seventh sixth or right. seventh really. exactly and it's going to be interesting to follow that storyline as we go through camp um leading up to that because does he have anything we saw very little of him all we know is what we've yeah. heard and it was not promising but yes you're correct now like i said there are the rare exceptions the GOAT, Tom Brady, was picked in the later rounds. Uh, you got Russell and Dak all picked in not the first round, right? And then it developed. Kirk Cousins wasn't Jake picked, Delhomme, wasn't picked yeah. Jake in the Jake Delhomme wasn't drafted at all. Hmm? Yeah, there are the you exceptions, know. but for the most part, that's the way it works. You wanted to talk about career average length, and I've got it here in a chart. This chart goes only through, I think, 2018 because I pulled it off of my deep dive before, but the numbers aren't that much different nowadays than they were then. And uh, you can see players and how well they do when they were drafted, how long they last. First rounders, it was 9.3 years. 
in the league is the average. That's why you see a lot of first-rounders get picked up. They may fail on their first team, i.e. Reed Treadwell, and they suddenly get picked up on other teams and keep going and keep going. Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman had a love for picking up former first-rounders. Just because of their draft position, they tend to last longer and people say, hey, well, he was a first-rounder, so he's got to have some talent, so I'm going to bring him in and I'm going to change him if I'm the coach. And yep. it doesn't always work out, but, you know, it happens. Um, <laughs> Drew, you're right. If Willis falls off, that'd be trade gold unless we select him. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know if Drew's doing the Vikings report with Ted and Drew or if that's Ted. But uh, anyways, I look forward to watching you guys' show after this one. Came out today. Came out yep. this morning. The uh, the, the draft is uh, got all those charts, David. And uh, again, Jesus. I think one of the things all that right. we're trying to uh, trying to get through there is that uh, um, we were talked last week about trade up, trade back. Um, I'm on kind of the I'm like you know uh, this isn't a, a very strong stance, but I'm kind of like you, where if if the guy we want, and I don't know who that guy is, uh, but say. You know, Sauce Gardner is there at 12. He won't be, by the way. But uh, yeah. if he was there at 12, you know, I think the Vikings run up as quickly as they can. And, and drop and, the card. You know, put that – drop the card. But, uh, you know, if they – again – Whether the, they the do that they now did, or that, – that's the way it used to work back in the day. I don't know if they do that exact process now or if it's electronic or telephonic or whatever. Yeah. But back in the day, you literally used to be a – Five by eight card, I think it was. I don't even think of, and they would write the name and bring it up to the podium. But it's a those charts really kind of say with the hit, like the hit rates and that really may may uh, dissuade you from thinking about trading down because really the Vikings at twelve have a much better chance of getting an impact player if they stay there than if they trade down to like say later eighteen or twenty and and accumulate some other picks because really your hit rate on anybody outside of the first round just goes down and down and down and uh, everybody thinks that your second rounder your third rounder even your fourth rounder those guys should be in, like starters and contributors but most of the time it doesn't work out that way uh, a lot of those third rounders fourth rounders don't really make an impact at all um unless you you know really draft well so right and uh, your second but, and thirds generally take a while to develop um now the only exception that, uh, to that is is if your guy if you know my guy is and say last year Darisaw, and picking Darisaw at the original position was a little bit of a reach but if you know that hey i can trade back a few spots you know, five spots in Darisol will still be there, then you're gaining value. That's a good trade. And by far, I would do that. But you've got to know exactly who you're going for, what the value is, and are you wasting value, like you said, just if you're just trading down to pick, um, to gather picks after picks after picks after picks after picks, the Rick Spielman special, I'm going to own the seventh round and we're going to have 17 picks in the seventh round, right? You're you're diluting, and absolutely, percentage-wise, you're worsening the chances of being successful. But let's look how successful the Vikings were. I happen to have charts to discuss that. Uh -oh. Like I said, it's fun times with graphs. Here we have PFFs, Vikings drafts versus war. War is their um, wins deal, above replacements. Wins above replacements. All right. And uh, if you look at this, the Vikings rank dead in the middle. I've highlighted them. They're the light stripe in the middle. They're dead in the middle of the pack. Right. Their drafts since 2017, and this was 2017 going into last year's draft is when these numbers were pulled. Um, they rank 17th. Middle of the pack. That seems about right for Zimmer, or for Spielman. Now we look at them by uh, drafts by positional value. That's what PV stands for, right? If you get somebody that plays tackle, 
that has positional value. If you do Justin Jefferson, which is the far purple dot on the right, that has huge positional value, right? But if you grab somebody that turns out to be, you know, just a punt gunner or a third round guard that doesn't even make, you know, the field except for on rare a dozen special teams plays, your positional value is next to shit. So I wonder who you're talking about there. I don't know. <laughs> but if you look at them here, they rank about 27th, 26th, 27th in the league on how well they did drafting. We have a fix for that, though. It's coming up. Bada boom, bada bang. We now have a new analytic-driven GM versus somebody we heard stories about going rogue, right? And uh, as we've talked about before, and so we've got an analytic GM. Hopefully that changes. Hopefully those graphs over time change and suddenly we're at the top. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I hope Quasi brings to this team. I would, uh, yes, of course. Uh, I hope so too. Uh, there's a the uh, we talked about last week and a few times when we've talked about the draft about how we knew how Rick operated and we don't know how Quasi operates and we're going to find out some of that uh, in a couple of weeks' time. But uh, I was uh, reading um, yesterday. I was reading Will Ludford did a piece mm-hmm. in the Daily Norseman looking at he was looking at uh, he was talking. To, about just that fact of a big mystery on how Quasi Dofamensa is going to handle the draft, how he's going to select, what his philosophy is, what his strategies are going to be. But uh, one of the things was that uh, Will looked at all of the known visits the Vikings have had with uh, college prospects right now, and there's 25 known visits. There might be others that we don't know about, but those things usually leak out one way or the other. So, um, but uh, he he pointed out that I thought it was very interesting that uh, of the 25 visits, only three are players with first round that are expected to go in the first round right now, and that's Karlaftis from Purdue, uh, Devontae Wyatt from Georgia, and then Traylon Burks, the wide receiver from Arkansas. And Burks and Karlaftis, uh, Burks especially, is considered a late first-rounder. So Will, Will was uh, the rest of the, the, the other 22 players that the Vikings have visited with, they all are people players expected to get selected. They have second and third-round grades. And Will's hypothesis was that really bolsters the uh, argument that the Vikings are really looking to trade down from 12 uh, and uh, because they, they, uh, they, <laughs> that's who they visited with. They're looking to accumulate picks in the second and third round, maybe in the fourth, and they're spending a lot of time with, with players in and they, that range. And I'm sure they wouldn't mind a 2023 first or second rounder to go with that trade. Which is – Yes, mm-hmm. which has been mentioned uh, below mm-hmm. by a few people, and and then I think and Will Ludford mentioned uh, he, he threw out the Chiefs, who have a lot of draft capital, might be looking to move up to get a wide receiver to replace Tyreek Hill, and that they could be somebody that the Vikings get their two number ones or one next year and one this year while they're trading down and all that stuff. But uh, I thought an interesting take by Will, and uh, there's seems to be gaining gaining a little bit of gaining steam with uh, the Vikings maybe. N- Cornerback seems an obvious pick at, at 12, but uh, yeah, now... I was going to get to the butt. <laughs> yeah, but uh, if a couple of those top guys, top guys are gone, uh, then do you, you know, is there really value in picking the third best corner at 12? Plus, the argument now is there seems to be steam or uh, momentum at least. This is people from outside the organization making this, but the talk about going the old three deep 1998 days, wide pick the best wide receiver at early on, and then you've got Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne, and some hot shot rookie like James Olave Williams. or Olave. Yeah, um, or Olave. Tyler Fornes yeah. loves Olave. He's been posting his route charts and grades on that, and they're outstanding, right? And uh, that's a possibility. I've been I've been running. I told Tyler this morning, 
I ran a whole bunch of mock drafts on PFF's mock draft board uh, last night to see where things went. And every single time, Sauce Gardner was gone. Of course, we expect that. Daryl Stingley, gone. Mm-hmm. Hamilton, gone. Because I'd take, if Hamilton, even though he's a safety, if he dropped 12, I'd run up there and drop the card. Because uh, mm-hmm. I think he's going to be outstanding. I think he's Harrison Smith all over again, only a, you know a little bit bigger. Um, but all three of them were gone. Each and every single time I ran it, and I ran it a half dozen times, they were all gone. And I'm like, yeah, but there's nothing. I don't want to go Duffy just for the, you know, the mere fact of uh, we need a corner, so let's go Duffy. I don't think Duffy's as good as has the potential as Stingley and obviously Sauce Gardner do. We want a good corner, right? We can limp by with the corners we have right now, but we want a good corner. The corner isn't as emphasized as much, so like I said, we could limp by if we didn't get a corner. And then you get into that thought process, well, if those guys are gone and you get that third receiver that can start, I mean, you expect that first round drafted at 12, that dude's going to start. That we have three deep. Can we score over 30 points a game? And then make life easier, bringing it all back on the defense, right? Because you're running up the score in the first half. You're getting a two, two, three score lead in the first half. Then you go out in the third quarter and you make it more, right? Can we generate an offense that way? That's where I see us benefiting. We had 14th in uh, points last year. Let's jump up to fourth. And would it be uh, a corner is not going to do that for us, right? A corner will help the defense, but it's not going to help us jump up to fourth um, that way. But you get an outstanding wide receiver to pair with Jefferson and Thielen, and Thielen becomes the read portion of that three deep, right? I'm because we expect Thielen to be gone probably next year, maybe the year after, but he's getting the you know the seniors treatment um, yeah. discount you know when he goes up there. So make him the read, and then have Jefferson and say Olave or whoever up there banging out so the offense can score 30, 35, 40 points a game. Yeah, I mean, make the uh, and I'm that argument does uh, appeal to me uh, because uh, much like '98, I remember that quite well, and I was kind of like, I knew all about Randy Moss. I knew he was how talented he was. I knew he had off the field problems, but when they, the Vikings picked him, when they did, uh, you know, I, I did think, well, we got Jake Reed and Chris Carter. How much more do you need? But right. it turned out, and like both I, of you, it made the offense. Unstoppable. unstoppable and we know that if you remember the vikings defense in 1998 they were solid they were okay but they weren't great uh but they didn't have to be because <laughs> the offense was scoring like 40 points yeah and they were scoring it was the diddy green we're going to outscore you and, and drew that's the answer if chris boyd is in there and i don't think he will be but if he's in there he gets beat we just go score another touchdown and score another one, and score another one, just like they did in 98. And I remember going into 98 before Moss was drafted going, hey, we've had two years of 1,000-yard receivers, right? And that was amazing, both of them, right? You know, they had pairs of them. And then we got Moss, and it just lit up. And you do that on the offense. You go into, you go into the playoffs with a top-five offense, you're contending for the Super Bowl. And that's where we all want to be. We want to contend for the Super Bowl. I don't think our defense will be any worse than last year. So I can live, I'm coming around to living with, I mean, we're all used to, we knew exactly how Zimmer would go and um, Spielman, and we all know that if we were in this situation, both those two are charged, corner's going to be the first guy off the board. We don't know that now. We're all thinking that because that's the way it used to be. We're conditioned to that. But... If if none of the three I mentioned, Sauce, Stingley, or Hamilton, dropped to us, 
I'd go wide receiver. I don't see any value in anybody else. There's the defensive tackle that looks absolutely like possible Hall of Famer. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I love the big round bellies, but <laughs> no, uh, it's not going to make positional value. It's not going to make that much of a difference as one of the other guys. So uh, if they're gone, I'd go wide receiver. Yeah, you, you you know it. It seems like you don't want to maybe overthink it. You don't want to overthink it. Like if if you've got like a uh, on a uh, if somebody at twelve or wherever you're picking is pretty much you've got the grades that this person is like a, a perennial all pro, game changer, difference maker at whatever position he has to be. Then I and it happens to be wide receiver. Even if you've got. Who, you, who the Vikings have, yeah, you take him as opposed to taking somebody from the position where you've got a need, but maybe they're not, they don't have as high grades, they don't have as high ceiling, blah, 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 blah. And people might say, well, well, you, you know, we got Jess, Justin Jefferson and we got Adam Thielen and he's still good. And plus, like KJ Osborne did well last year. Right. Well, that's fine, but you know, Osborne, uh, as, as well as he did last year, he had 50 some catches. You, you know, I don't see him being a perennial all pro, a nice number right. three guy. But if you can get somebody who can be an all pro, all pro. you grab him. Especially you grab him. You grab at the him. position of value where they're at. I mean, that's it's all about producing points and stopping production of points. That's why quarterbacks are number one. Then you go out to receivers on offense is number two. On defense, you have usually corners and edges are your your top positions because they're stopping the production. Usually the edges is the number one, corners number two, and that's that's why the value charts are there. That's why it comes out. You want to do that, and if you can do that, um, all the better. Now, on the last fun with graphs portion, this is the one that surprised me a lot. I took the last 10 years of pro football references data. And I don't like the way they put some of their stuff together. But I graphed it out. And uh, and it shows how many starters, the yellow line is starters from first rounders. Goes up in the second year. You get uh, a first rounder last year was 42 of them. Second year, when you take the last two years, it's 85, then 100, and 124. You can see how this arcs over at the top where the sweet spot is, right? And what it gets me, what surprised me is half, about 130-ish, 100, a little bit less, about half the draft becomes starters at least one year. The deal about this draft is it's at least one year of their career. They're the primary starter. And you can become a primary starter through injury, right? That's happened on the Vikings plenty of times uh, when we get, you know, turnstiles on the offensive line because the starter was out because he, you know, blew an ACL or something. But that half of them actually become starters. Now, you take that with the career life. um, It's usually the guys in the first few rounds that develop into that half that actually do. And then the gray line is your Pro Bowls, and then the orange are your all pros out of those years, over 10 years, at least making it once. Um, And you see the drop-off around year nine, which is when folks are working their way out. But it's interesting. I didn't expect it to be that high. I didn't expect half. And that's what I found interesting on this chart. But only next year... If it sticks to the same thing as it did last year, I only expect, you know, 40-some-odd to be starters. Well, if you take that number, that only puts you in the top half of round two. If you say everybody yeah. drafted in round one. So that's where we get back to the quality over quantity argument once again. So, But this chart, yeah. this, I wanted to present that because I learned something. But again, so, yeah, it, all, know what to, it all comes down to crazy. It does. And, uh, yeah, so, though, again, uh, it looked for a while there. We were cornerback guaranteed. That's where they're going to go. 
But uh, hold on now. Maybe it's something else. And again, Quasi is being very, so far, being careful about uh, letting people know who he might be interested in in the first round anyway. And I think that that is, I, 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 we might have to dig this up next show. But Dave, I think remember a few years ago, uh, we were looking at like all of the, in Spielman's time, all the people that visited, that they would visit mm-hmm. at. And I think you had a certain percentage, you said, right. that you'd worked out that, that they, out of those 50 that they would, uh, they would. They visit or, between, know, they would you visit know, with. like the Senior Bowl and et cetera. Yeah, they would do that. There was a there was a certain percentage that they always drafted from that crew. So uh, we'll see what out of these twenty five or what whatever the end number ends up being that that are reported known visits. That if any of those end up getting uh, picked by the Vikings at all, and uh, and uh, you know teams will get wise to that too after a while if they see that the Vikings after a couple of years are are visiting twenty thirty guys and they never pick any of them. Well, <laughs> you know, you know the, the teams will start realizing that that's just a smokescreen and they're not very interested. But just interesting times and uh, still, even though uh, a lot in play uh, for the Vikings, um, you know what position they're going to pick. I think we've got it narrowed down pretty good. But who out of those positions they're going to pick, we just don't know. And we don't know if they're going to double up on certain positions. I think cornerback's still something that you got to look at uh, as a position where they'd probably be wise to pick a couple of players out of their mm-hmm. picks to, out of there. And uh, I know in Will Ludford's uh, um column he liked uh, burns kalen burns was a guy he was very high on uh as somebody that we could get later on in the draft and kind of the fifth round area but it's got great measurables mm-hmm. so it's just a fascinating time of the year to throw out these names and uh, you know trying to look at the crystal ball and especially with a new gm who we don't know yeah, how, anything about what what metrics is he looking at is he looking at raw athletic scores is he looking at tape is he i mean we don't know yet, and it, that is fascinating. Um, Donnie asked what happens other- if a topo line falls. Donnie, we're not going to select one in the first round. I guarantee that. Um, it'll be second or beyond, and it should be interesting. So we'll find out whether they that, go. Uh, and yeah, and they've, uh, they've visited in Will's uh, uh, 25. I think they visited with five five or six linemen in total. I think it was five, uh, three tackles, a couple interior linemen. And, and the, the, the strange kid was kind of the one to keep an eye on because that's, he's an interior guy. Yeah. But he, he's a guy who could pinch, potentially play center down the road. And we may have needed that center. Mm-hmm. But yeah, more draft talk. I'm sure we'll talk about it again for, next week and the week after and the week after that right well and well we got next week and then the week after we roll into the draft uh part of the three-day coverage here at climbing the pocket will be you and i we will have a segment to ourselves on the three days of live and i encourage everybody to join us for that it's time to go back to the other screen that winds up the day I'm curious what everybody thought of the fun with charts and graphs. And if you learned anything, that's great. And the talk beforehand, please share this episode with folks. We think it was valuable. Uh, We all look forward to, hey, we may have bitched and moaned and complained about the previous administration and then, you know, thrown counterpoints against some of that. But it all comes down to the fixes are possibly in place, and they come down to Quasi, they come down to Kevin O'Connell, they come down to Ed Donatel, and how they utilize the players and who, what players they continue to get, and a draft is part of that. So if you learned any, anything, let us know, and please share this episode with folks as you go forth. Darren, any last words? No last words today, David. Just getting, uh, I'll be, uh, it, it, at this point, it's all draft all the time for mm-hmm. us, really. And that's, that's. I think the, the, the free agency stuff has petered out. Um, and now it's all going to be, who are those eight players that the Vikings are going to draft with their eight picks or or maybe it'll be nine or 10 by the time the, you know, we're done in two weeks. But uh, that's really where the excitement goes. 
and especially the first first round, like that first Vikings pick or wherever our first selection is made, uh, we'll be expecting that. We'll be we'll be really uh, dissecting that selection and what the Vikings did there, and. <laughs> Uh, uh, Van Halen, it's David Lee Roth all the time. Uh, Drew, that's that's my pick. I know others like Sammy, and I I know he's a better singer than D- than Diamond Dave, but that's just me. Anyway, it's draft twenty four seven draft. Can't wait to can't wait to see what happens in two weeks time. Absolutely. Uh, this week coming up, we're going to have probably a full week of shows. Because Climbing the Pocket is in the full-blown draft mode. We are putting things together. We're getting the guest list together for the live draft show. Until then, we'll be building up to that. Watch a lot of... we got Tyler Fornis on Monday with the Real Forno Show. He's got two guests coming on Monday. More talk of the draft. That's what he specializes in. Tuesday, we should have in the huddle after they took a week off. Wednesday, we have Vikings Happy Hour. And I'm trying to remember who the guest was, because not this week, but next week it's Doogie right before to get the draft. But this week we have another guest, and we're trying to get um, the young lady back that we missed last week because she had power outs. And we're going to be talking draft, 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 all the way up until the draft extravaganza. It's nonstop. If any other news comes up, we'll bring that up too. So. Always enjoy your day. Drink a great beer, and I need to refill mine. Ah, uh, have eat good food, stay with your friends, have good times, love your family. And what do we say, Aaron? We say Skull Vikings, baby. Skull Vikings. Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell, and rate us on your favorite aggregator. And a special shout out goes to our partners. The Daily Norseman, where the best Vikings content can be found. And to Lake Monster Brewing, home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skull, everybody. Skull, everybody.